0: Well, hey, good morning, 11 o'clock service. Good to see you all here in the room. Those of you who are joining online, welcome you as well. I came across a, uh, a study this past week that I found kind of interesting, uh, talking about how much we utilize uh, text messaging. It said that over the last decade, the number of monthly texts uh, that, are, that are being sent has increased, get this, by 7,700% over the last 10 years, right? And, and, it's, and you know, it's actually not like too surprising with the birth of like the smartphone and, and all of that. But I remember a time not that long ago, maybe you had a similar conversation like this, where my wife and I were talking like, why would we ever need to pay for more than 200 text messages a month? Like if it's just that important, call somebody. And now if somebody calls us, we're like, oh no, what's wrong? Why didn't they just send a text? <laughs> and so things have definitely changed. And, and, and actually now, uh, studies show that 18.7 billion messages are sent every single day. 18.7 billion messages sent every day. And with all of these messages flying back and forth, man, we have gotten some great great snapshots of how text messages have either, one, been autocorrected poorly um, or been misunderstood, and so we captured some of those uh, for you to enjoy as we get started today, and so let's take a look at some of our favorites that we found this week. Hey, bro, I hate to ask this, but could you spot me some cash? Hi, what for and how much? I'm like $300 short on my Mott's applesauce payment due on the 15th. Uh, How much applesauce did you buy from them? I wrote mortgage payment, and I have no idea why my phone did that. (laughs) Here's the next one. Uh, Your mom and I are going to divorce next month. What? Why? Call me. I wrote Disney, and this phone changed it. We are going to Disney. (laughs) That is a much different conversation. (laughs) This one from grandma, or to grandma. Heard you got an iPhone. How do you like it? Massachusetts. Uh, So evidently, Grandma's still trying to figure out how to use the uh, the iPhone. Uh, This one from Jay or to Jake, did you finish loading the car up? Did everything fit? Almost. I ran out of space, so I strapped your Grandma to the roof. Cool? (laughs) Uh, I mean, guitar. Fails. Sorry. Too bad. I'm sure Grandma would have loved feeling the wind through her hair. Now, Full disclosure here, Quentin told me after the first service that if it came between strapping his guitar and strapping his grandma to the roof, he would have a hard time deciding which one was going to enjoy that ride. Uh, This message from mom, your great aunt just passed away, LOL. Why is that funny? It's not funny, David. What do you mean? Mom, LOL means laughing out loud. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I sent that to everyone. I thought it meant lots of love. I have to call everyone back. (laughs) Uh, that is an unfortunate mistake. <laughs> this is great. How is our pregnant little daughter? Mom, how did you know? <laughs> I meant perfect. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what? <laughs> maybe not as perfect as you thought. Uh, <laughs> I feel this one. Do you? This is not a continuation of that last conversation. I don't. <laughs> this is maybe it is. I don't know. But this is a, a different one. Do you know if you are having a boy or a girl? Uh, I don't know, and I don't care, uh, just as long as it's healthy and has 10 fingers and 10 Tostitos. (laughs) But you want your baby coming out bearing chips? Uh, Yes, and it better not forget the dip. I'm gonna be hungry. (laughs) Uh, This one's my favorite. I'm here for you. Thanks, I'm going through a tough time, so it means a lot. And sorry, I lost my contacts. Who is this? This is your Uber driver. (laughs) I'm here to pick you up. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh man, that's unfortunate. <laughs> well, properly understanding the meaning of a text message is important in human conversation. Uh, But properly understanding the meaning of a text when we dive into God's Word is really important, too. Uh, And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. How can we understand the meaning of a text so that we don't end up with some unfortunate situations like what we saw earlier? How can we understand the meaning of a text when we open up God's Word, we dive into it, we study it? How can we know what God is wanting to say to us? So if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, uh, turn with me to John chapter 15. That's going to be our text for for today. John chapter 15. Uh, We're in week four of this series that we've called Diving In, where we want to equip you uh, to read and study God's Word on your own. You know, every Sunday when we gather up here for worship, man, we want to study God's Word. We want to dive into it. This Word is living and it's active. It is resourceful in our life, teaching us how to live. When our life groups are, are together, we want them to dive in and study God's Word. But it's also so important that in our own individual lives, we have the tools that we need to be able to read and study God's Word on our own. I said last week that nothing has greater impact on spiritual growth than personal reflection on God's Word. Nothing. Nothing. If you want to grow and take your next step spiritually, nothing is going to help you do that better than reading and studying God's Word. And so through this series, we've looked at uh, how we can take these words that again are alive and active according to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 how, how we can take these words that want to transform our life and our relationships and how we can begin to understand them and love them more and so we looked uh, the first week about like how can we see what God wants us to see when we, when we read and we study a passage, how can we see what God wants us to see? Not what we want to see, not what others want us to see, but what God wants us to see. And it starts before we ever even open up our Bibles to just pray, Lord, open my eyes, cleanse my heart. Lord, may I be humble to, to live your word out in my life. That's where it begins. And then when we read a passage, we talked last week that That Bible study, good Bible study, really comes down to asking good questions of the text that we read. And so we talked about several questions last week. Uh, We talked about, you know, the question, what does the text say? Uh, That's just where you kind of get to know the text, read it a couple of times. What does it mean? That's the interpretation, correlation. What other texts say the same thing to help us understand what we just read? And then application, how do we actually live this out? How do we become, as James tells us, doers of the word, not just hearers of the word? And so today we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that interpretation part of Bible study and look at how we can understand the meaning of a text. And every time I think about interpretation, I think about one of my favorite Preachers, Chuck Sackett, who also happened to be one of my preaching professors. And in our uh, preaching classes, he used to preach to us over and over and over let the text win. Let the text win. I can still hear his voice telling me that every time I sit down and study a passage. Let the text win. What he means by that is that when we read a text in the Bible, our goal is to understand that text the way that God wants us to understand that text. And not what we want it to say or even what we think that it means to us, but what the text actually says and what God actually means by it. The meaning of the text trumps everything else. And the word for that. Uh, is exegesis exegesis means pulling meaning out of a text it's allowing the text to speak for itself and drawing conclusions based on that it's letting the text win exegesis that's our our goal in bible study is to pull the meaning out of the text the opposite of that is a word called eisegesis And eisegesis is when we put meaning into the text that's not actually there. It's when we read or interpret Scripture um, through our own experiences, maybe even through our own culture. It's making a text say something that it doesn't actually say. Maybe we read it through inaccurate teachings that we've had in the past. Or another pretty popular form of of eisegesis is, is where people just kind of pluck a Scripture out of context out of scripture just to say uh what they want it to say and the truth is and it's been it's been said before that the bible can really say anything that you want it to say if you take it out of context enough (laughs) it can it can be used to justify and support any position any behavior but that's eisegesis that's a form of reading something into the text and putting something into the text that's that's not there and so we want exegesis, we want to avoid eisegesis, but there's a third word that we want to avoid as well, and that is, help me, Jesus. <laughs> and that's when you read a text and you have no idea what you just read or what it means. And so today, I want to give you some tools that I use as I'm studying and trying to understand the meaning of a text uh, to help you move towards exegesis, pulling the meaning out of the text, and away from Jesus, or feeling like help me, Jesus. And so I'm going to share some of the tools, uh, again, that I use, and we're going to walk through the passage here today. And, and, and if you're new with us this morning, uh, maybe new into the series with us that we've been doing the last couple of weeks, where this is a You know, it's a sermon time, but it's also a little bit like a lesson time. I had one guy as he was leaving the last service saying, you know, we should, um, for this series, we should stop calling them tithes and offering and start calling it tuition because I feel like I'm just kind of sitting in a class (laughs) learning about how to study my Bible. I think that was a compliment. I think. I'm just not going to think about it too much. Uh, But I just want to give you some of these tools so that when you sit down and you read and you study Scripture on your own, And you just feel empowered and able to pull the meaning out of a text. And so I'm going to give you those tools, and we're going to put them into practice uh, with our passage today. So let's look at it together. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. So much spiritual depth and insight that we could pull out of here, do an entire series on those 11 verses that we just read. But today, I want to walk through again how we can understand the meaning of a text using this rich passage. And, and our goal is exegesis. We want to pull the meaning out. And there are a few different tools that I want to share with you to help you do that. Number one is consider the context. Consider the context. My friend Gary Johnson likes to say, context before content. The idea is that if you really want to understand the content, you have to first understand the context. You know, we, we can't actually understand a passage of scripture unless we understand the context in which it is set. And so sometimes the context is just the, the chapters or the verses immediately before it or immediate after. Uh, sometimes it's a couple of chapters. Sometimes it's the book. Sometimes it's where that passage fits in the whole uh, uh, scripture and, and, and all of the books together. Where it fits in that part of all of of scripture. And and when you understand the context of the passage that you're reading, it's kind of like shining a light on what you just read. It helps you understand it and see it uh, more clearly. And the context for this passage that we just read is really interesting. In John chapter 15, we drop into the middle of this five-chapter conversation that Jesus is having uh, on the night that he is betrayed and arrested and taken to trial. In John 13 through 16, uh, we get this inside look into a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, with those who have been following him. In John 17, we, the, kind of the veil of heaven is pulled back and we get an inside look into this conversation that Jesus the Son has with the Father. And again, all of this is leading up to his arrest and his crucifixion. So the context of John 15 is incredibly important. These are some of the very last conversations that Jesus is having on his way to the cross. We get this inside look into what's most important to him. These these final thoughts that he wants to leave with his disciples. And so these words carry a lot of weight. And it's in these chapters that, that Jesus does some of his most memorable things. In the upper room, Jesus establishes communion, this way for not just his disciples, but even now, those of us who continue to follow him something we just did moments ago to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. While in the upper room, he, he gets down as a, as a servant in humility and he washes his disciples' feet. And then he tells them, as I've done for you, now you go and do for others. Take the humility that you have seen in me and from me and go and serve others in the same way after Judas betrays Jesus <clears throat> Jesus starts telling them about the fact and the truth that his time on earth is coming to an end and he reassures them with the hope of heaven he so I'm going to go prepare a place for you and if I go I'm going to come back and take you so that you may be where I am He promises the Holy Spirit will come and fill them. He he says, my peace I give you, my peace I leave with you. And after that, Jesus and the disciples, they, they get up from the room that they're in and they, and they start to walk to where Jesus is going to, to pray, in the, the, the garden of, of Gethsemane. And so they're moving from the upper room over to this garden and, and along the way, and it's actually um, still, still there, there's this, this vineyard that they would have passed by. And I imagine Jesus looking down into that vineyard and pointing to it and using that as an object lesson about what it means that even though he is about to depart, what it means to remain and to stay connected to him and for our lives to bear fruit. And so Jesus is saying all of these things to comfort and to encourage the disciples that, hey, listen, even though I'm about to depart from this earth, we can remain in relationship with one another. And your life will bear fruit because of it. And so consider the context. Number two, the second interpretation principle is define the key words. If you're going to pull the meaning out of a text, you've got to understand the key words and, and what they mean. And key words, when, when you read a, a passage, there's a couple of things to be looking for. Number one, is there a word that's repeated? Is there a couple of words that are maybe repeated over and over? Repetition matters also look for verbs, you know, strong action words. Those are usually pretty important to a text as as well. And in our passage, we have a couple of them. Uh, Oftentimes when I'm reading or studying on my own or for a sermon, uh, you can't quite see it in in my Bible, but what I did is um, I'll go through and I'll underline one of those words just every time it's repeated if there's multiple words then i'll circle the other ones i'll put a box around if there's a third find some way so that i can get this visual of how many times those words are repeated and see how they kind of flow all all together and in our passage we have a couple of pretty important words that are repeated number one is remain Jesus uses this word 11 times in 11 verses. And if repetition matters, then this is probably a pretty important word if we want to understand the meaning of this text. I think our context gives us some clues about what it means to remain in Jesus. He is our source of spiritual life and strength. Our souls are nourished and fed through him. We stay connected to him through prayer, which is mentioned several times in the context of chapter 15. We remain in him through the Holy Spirit, living and moving in us. He becomes our dwelling place. We remain in him when we serve others like Jesus served us, demonstrated when he humbly washed the disciples' feet. We remain in Jesus when we obey his commands. And what are his commands? Well, he tells us, the end of chapter 13 a new command i give you love one another as i have loved you so you love one another when we love others as jesus loved us we remain in him there's this fruit that is coming out of us of the life of christ that is in us 11 times jesus tells his disciples listen i'm i'm going to be leaving you but i'm going to remain in you and you're going to remain in me if you stay connected to the vine through prayer and through the word and through obedience. Another word that's used a lot in this passage is fruit. In fact, nine times Jesus tells us that if we remain in him, the vine, then we, the branch, we're gonna bear fruit. We're gonna produce fruit. And if I were studying this passage, I would, I would start to think through what, what are some attributes and characteristics of fruit that might apply to the fruit that we bear in our lives as followers of Jesus? Jesus. The first thing that comes to mind when I think about that is, you know, you can't manufacture fruit, right? Companies don't build fruit-producing factories. It grows on trees. Fruit grows on healthy trees. And fruit doesn't grow on, on dead trees. You can't tie an apple to a dead tree and say, look, it's an apple tree. No, it's a dead tree that you just tied some fruit on and called it an apple tree, the fruit grows when it's connected to a life source, and Jesus tells us that if we remain in him, he will be that life source, and we will produce fruit. It's not something that we can just manufacture on our own. It's not something that will just grow in us if we are spiritually dead and disconnected from the vine. As we remain in him, our life will bear the fruit of Christ's presence in us. His love, his peace, his grace will flow out of us too others the the fruit that paul mentions in, in the end of galatians love and joy and peace patience kindness goodness gentleness self-control all of those things will grow and flow in us and through us to others it's another important thing about fruit it enriches and nourishes the lives of others Fruit trees produce fruit for the enjoyment of others. And I think our faith can be the same way. Remaining in Jesus is not just for our own good. I mean, man, there is certainly something that is sweet to know and be known by Christ. But it should also be nourishing and good for others too. As the fruit of our faith comes out in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we serve, it should be refreshing and people should leave from being around us, just feeling not like they were with us, but like they were with Jesus, because that fruit is growing in us and nourishing them too. Our faith ought to feed others with our words and our actions that grow in us as a result of remaining connected to Christ. And so after we've considered the context and defined some Key terms. Number three is look for the most obvious meaning. That's the third principle of of interpretation. Look for the most obvious meaning. And I say the most obvious because, listen, this book has been around for a really long time. A lot of smart People have spent many hours pouring into it and reading it and studying it and teaching about it. And if, and if I come to the text and I see something in it that no one else has ever, ever seen before, then chances are I may have gotten it wrong. <laughs> if I ever stand up here and say, you know, I was reading my... Scripture the other day, and I noticed that the letter O is here, and then another letter O is here, and then it repeats over here and then here, and I started forming those things together, and, and I, I saw some prophecy that we need to all be aware of as a church. Like, one, you should go and tell the elders to have me fired immediately, <laughs> and two, it means that I, I'm probably not interpreting Scripture the way that God wants me to interpret it. I'm probably not pulling the meaning out of the text the way that God wants me to do it. And so you look for what is the most obvious meaning. Start there. Sometimes we complicate it too much. I don't think that God's trying to play games with us. I don't think that he's trying to trick us. He gave us his word to reveal himself and his character, not conceal it like some treasure map that we have to decipher. We may have to dig into it a little bit more. But we don't have to create magic formulas or secret codes you dig for the central meaning, and it's, it's pretty obvious what it is in our, in our text. It's fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. If you want your life to produce good fruit, righteousness, joy, and peace, and love, and all of these things, it, it comes by remaining in Christ. When you look at the context, the key words, and most obvious meaning, I think what Jesus is telling his friends and he's telling us is listen, I'm going to leave you soon, but this connection that we have is going to continue. As you serve and as you love, like I did, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to fill you and he's going to be with you and he's going to remind you of everything that I've taught, everything that I've done. He's going to give you the power to live and to teach that your own. If you remain in me, your life is going to produce this incredible fruit that God is going to grow inside of you that you cannot produce on your own. And it's going to be a blessing to you and it's going to be a blessing to others that get to enjoy it. And so now that we understand, uh, at least a little bit, the meaning of this rich text, how can we apply it? Again, we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So how do we apply it? Well, let's go back to our Space Pets acronym from last week. And if you weren't here last week, that was probably a very confusing statement um, that I just said right there. <laughs> space Pets, uh, we, we probably have some more of the bookmarks if you, if you weren't here last week of our um, astronaut pets that are on the moon. Here, you can pick one of those up. It's just an acronym that we work through to, to see how we can apply uh, a passage. And So let's think about our text today and take it through that, that acronym Is there a sin to confess? Maybe. Maybe there's something in your life, a habit, a person, a relationship. Maybe there's something in your life, a pain that you haven't quite dealt with yet that's keeping you from connecting to the vine in the way that you desire. Is there a promise to claim? Absolutely. And remain in Christ, stay connected to him. And Jesus promises, I will remain and stay connected to you. That's a promise that we, can, that we can rely on. Is there an attitude to change? Possibly. Maybe it's learning to love and be patient with others as Christ has loved and been patient with you. Trying to see the good in others. Is there a command to obey? Jesus tells us remain. Stay connected through obedience to Jesus and prayer. Is there an example to follow? Yeah, in fact, Jesus points to himself as an example of of, of remaining in the Father, as an example of him remaining in us. Is there a prayer to pray? Um, I didn't see one. Maybe you did, and you can let me know. Let us know. Is there an error to avoid? I think that there is. One of the challenging verses in this, in this passage, you probably picked up on it, verse six, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and wither. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. I think that this is absolutely Jesus giving us an error to avoid, to not become so disconnected from him that we are of no good anymore that our faith is not producing or doing anything in us. I I don't think that in this passage, Jesus is saying that if your life is not bearing fruit, whatever that fruit might be, you know, more followers of Jesus, the fruit of the spirit, that if your life is not producing that fruit, then sorry, you know, you're cut off and you're going going to hell. I don't think that's what Jesus is, is teaching here. It doesn't quite fit with the context. I think that's eisegesis. That's reading something into the text that's not there. But what I do think that Jesus is doing is he's, he's giving this, this warning to us that if we become disconnected from him, our faith is, is useless. So branches that, that disconnect from the vine, they wither up. They're, they're not good. They're not going to grow fruit on it. The branches are not, a carpenter can't even use it to, to build something because they're so flimsy. And additionally, if, if the dead branch remains connected to the vine, it might send disease or pull nutrients from other healthier parts that uh, will take those from growing and, and bearing fruit. And so I think what Jesus is just saying is, listen, if you disconnect, your faith is going to be useless. It's not gonna be bearing fruit and you're not gonna be living all that God desires for you to live in him is there a truth to believe if we ask for what Jesus desires he tells us I'll hear your prayer and I will answer it God moves at the request of the children whom he loves is there something to be thankful for absolutely I can't help but read this passage and be incredibly thankful that Jesus desires a relationship with me Because I know me. I know where I've been. I know what I've done. I know what's been done to me. And the fact that Jesus continues to invite me to remain in him, continues to desire a relationship with me, with you, is something to be incredibly thankful for. He wants us to experience the joy and the satisfaction of abiding in him. That's why he tells us this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And so as we close out today, are you remaining in Christ? Is your life producing fruit? Is it evident to you and to others that Christ is in you and forming something in you that you could not produce on your own? If so, man, praise, praise God and continue to nourish that relationship. But if not, if you feel detached today, maybe that's the reason why you came to church today is because there's just something in you that feels like it is withering up and it is dying, it is dry, and there's now death where there used to be life. What is it that you can do to reattach yourself to that vine, to Jesus Is it waking up 15 minutes early to pray and to spend time in the word? And listen, I know how difficult that can be sometimes. I've got kids who like to stay up late at night and get up early in the morning. I know how hard it can be, but but is it a sacrifice that you need to make to connect to the vine? that's why we're doing Core 52 because so many people don't know where to start on that. Get one of those books. You can start it tomorrow. You can start it early. (laughs) Just start connecting to the Lord through the word. Maybe for you, it's an unconfessed sin pattern in your life. It's this habit, it's this relationship. It's something that you just keep going back to and it's starting to to cause brokenness in, in you and in your relationships. And there's this distance between you and others and you and the Lord. And maybe your next step this week, maybe even today is just to confess that, to turn from it. To seek the Lord's forgiveness and maybe even make amends with someone that you've hurt along the way. Or maybe for you, it's making that first confession of faith, asking and inviting Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of your life and your Savior, and finding all the joy of being connected to the vine. Whatever it is, as we've closed, and I apologize, I've gone a little bit over this morning, but as we close, I just want to give us a few moments of silence to pray and whatever it is that maybe you're feeling right now, that you just need to turn over and commit to the Lord to, to reconnect or to connect even more to that vine. may commit to the Lord this week that you're going to take that step. And then I'll close us in prayer. Father God, I'm so grateful for just the truth that you desire us. You loved us before we loved you and you made a way for us to be in relationship with you before we even desired it. Thank you for Jesus that while we were still dead in our brokenness and in our sin, Jesus, you died for us to make a way for us to be in right relationship with the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that before you left, you told your disciples and you told us that we can still remain in you and that you will remain in us and that our lives can bear fruit, fruit as we just nourish that relationship. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Thank you that your presence lives and abides and dwells in us. Thank you for your forgiveness and for your grace we would be lost without it. And Lord, I pray that our faith and our relationship with you will not just be good and pleasing and nourishing to our own souls, but it'll nourish others as well, and that they will come to know you through us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just you stand with me as we close off with one more song?